The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am delighted today to welcome Cynthia Connolly. She's an organic farmer. She's the owner and operator of Ladybird Organics Farm, and she is the president of Monticello Vineyards and Winery, Florida's only organic farm winery specializing in muscadine wines. I first met Cynthia when we both served on the Organic Farming Research Foundation Board, and I had the wonderful opportunity to visit her farm last fall. Cynthia, welcome. Thank you. Well, I want to know how you got into farming at a time when not many women were farming. Well, well, that goes back a few years. I loved the outdoors, and at the time I was coming up, farming was really not an option for a young girl. And it wasn't until after I had gone through academia and English and actually worked professionally in English that I shifted academically to agriculture. And it all happened at that time when uh, I think the country was looking at opportunities for girls and women and equity with boys and men. And Title IX was introduced. And people think of Title IX as an act that supported women in sports, but actually it it also opened the doors in non-traditional fields. And because of that, I was able to pursue a Ph.D. at Iowa State University where I was the first woman to get the Ph.D. in agricultural education and engineering there. Wow. Well, congratulations. And we should let everyone know that this was in the late 70s. Is that correct? Yes, it was the late 70s. I went there. I finished my Ph.D. in May of 1980. Okay. Now, so you got your degree in ag education from Iowa State. Then how did you get from there to an organic farm in Monticello, Florida, which I should let our listeners know is just south of the Georgia line. Yes, we are in the Red Hills bioregion of the panhandle of north-central Florida. And going from my academic work in agriculture at Iowa State, I actually worked professionally in international agricultural education for a number of years where I lived abroad in different countries and worked with uh, food production and training materials, teaching uh, national researchers different specialties in the main food crops. And then uh, I uh, eventually came around to where I wanted to plant myself and bought this farm in North Florida. It it was a 10-year search that I actively looked for this spot of land and I believe this land captured me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've been here since 1989. Well, I can attest to our listeners that it is a beautiful piece of land, and you're, you've got 
I think I may have mentioned you've got 50 acres, but 10 are in the organic grapes. And I should let our listeners know, too, you've got other crops. So you've got USDA-certified grapes, Meyer lemons, marsh grapefruit, persimmons, pecans, and pears, as well as organic wheatgrass and microgreens. You've got eggs, and you've got worm castings. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what made you go the wine route? The grapes? Yes. The grapes want to be wine. Yes. And with the first harvest of grapes, we ate them, we made jelly, we made food stuffs like pies, and we still had grapes, so we made wine. And the wine was good. Yeah. So we have made wine every single year since the very first harvest. And I believe the first harvest was in 92. Now, muscadine grapes are different, aren't they? They're they're not a European cultivar. They're a native, right? That's right. They're native to the southeastern United States, and as far as I know, this is the only place they're grown. And it's a sweet wine for the most part, wouldn't you say? Well, the winemaking process for these grapes culturally in the south has been to sweeten the wine. But the fermentation process can yield a dry wine. And it's really what the winemaker does that brings out either the sweetness or the dryness. I see. I have to ask every organic farmer, you know, why did you choose to take that path? Because organic farming is is harder. It takes a I think it takes a smart person to be able to work with ecological systems and to understand those relationships that are naturally present but take time and careful attention to to notice and to work with and it would be so much easier to just spray for for pests but you chose to take a different route why did you choose to farm organically wow well i bought this farm coming out out of the experience of having had breast cancer Mm. and i knew you know, I mean, we we all know that a lot of the synthetic chemicals are carcinogenic, but the real reason is, and this has just been affirmed over the years, organic farming is so much more exciting. The natural systems and how wonderfully they work. You know, it's not recipe farming, which applying five pounds of ten, 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 and spraying every six weeks would be, you know rote farming in a way. Organic farming really you have to bring your whole self to the to the table. You have to use your creativity, your brain, your body, and nature rewards you for this by showing you its wonder. It's really a, a it's a system, it's holistic and it really works. Well and you're protecting our water, you're protecting our commons our water, our soil, our air for further generations. So I want to thank you from a public health perspective for choosing that method of farming. Florida has gone through drought, much like much of the rest of the country over the past couple of years. And I remember when we visited your farm and we had a conversation about how you're managing drought, you said, well, you know, I've got this really expensive irrigation system, but I haven't needed to use it because I've been using worm castings, and I was fascinated by this. Tell me about that. Yes, worm castings and worms are just magnificent. 
they're magnificent creatures, and the worm castings, which is the waste of the worms, are, are just miracle a miracle in themselves. Uh, they're pH balanced. They've got uh, macro and micronutrients, but they're full of living microbes. And what I've come to realize, especially with regard to irrigation, and yes, we have been in a drought for a number of years, is, you know, in chemical farming, throwing out 10-10-10 or any granular fertilizer, it needs water to dissolve. And the first rains would do just that, dissolve the the fertilizer. For the plant to take it up, it needs more rain. And sometimes there's not more rain. And that makes the plant vulnerable to being burned with a chemical burn, where you have the um, granular dissolved and yet everything's too dry to really move it in the soil. Worm castings are like a high grade of compost and they're full of living beings and these microbes are basically made up of water. Hmm. So there's many millions of them and when push comes to shove in a drought, they will give up their moisture for the plant. So they will die back and the worm castings will sustain uh, the plant and the soil life uh, much, much longer than any kind of conventional chemical would. And it also brings a balance. I mean, the worm castings are almost like probiotics in the soil. They help rebalance and re-inoculate the life to where if something is out of balance, they'll fix it. They'll bring it back to a healthy natural balance of prey and predator that just keeps it thriving and plants do really well with it. And that's pretty much all plants, but in our case, the uh, flowering and the fruiting of the vineyard and our other fruit trees is really excellent because of the worm casting. You got a PhD in agriculture education at Iowa State. Is that where you learned about worm castings? No, they weren't teaching worm castings in at that time period, but I tell you, I think in any college agricultural curriculum, there should be a place for worms and worm castings. Perhaps in microbiology, they, they discuss it to some degree, but I actually, it was serendipitous and so much an example of how just farming has inspired me and fueled my passion all along the way. I just bought a cup of worms in the early 90s from a worm guy on the side of a road in Omega, Georgia. And driving by to uh, to look at equipment or something, I pulled off the road and ended up buying a cup of worms. And basically through observing and cultivating that one cup of worms, I, of course this is over 20 years later, Yeah, <laughs> I, I got a thriving herd and flock of worms now and I'm happy to... Uh, share what I have learned over these last couple of decades and actually do some teaching of little worm workshops here at my farm for the community about twice a year. Okay, so tell me a little bit about this now because I'm so intrigued. I, I anticipate that we'll have another drought. We're already short on water. I've got to do everything I can to keep my plants alive. And, you know, of course, the messages that we get are that well, the only way we're going to be able to feed the world, quote-unquote, in the face of drought 
and climate change is with genetic modification. And here you are with a Ph.D. in ag education telling me, no, no, these worm castings are taking the place of my expensive irrigation, and you, you certainly don't use genetically modified seeds or crops. So I want us to understand how we can, all of us, get into vermicomposting. Is that the correct word for having a worm farm? Well, vermicomposting is actually kind of a made-up word. The The actual word would be vermiculture, okay. cultivating earthworms. It is not a true composting process. It's not uh, classified under compost in the National Organic Standards, but vermiculture is the cultivation of earthworms. And it is not rocket science. And if you think of it as you would any livestock, you know, that needs water and air and food and a habitat, place to live, it's really quite simple. And anybody can do it. And it's an excellent way to recycle your vegetable waste. You know, if you're eating organic vegetables and you've got the peels and the cores, this is a great way to recycle them into something very rich and productive that you can use in your garden. Listeners, we are speaking with Cynthia Connolly. She is the owner and operator of Lady Bird Organics Farm and president of Monticello Vineyards and Winery, Florida's only organic farm winery specializing in muscadine wines. And we are talking about a little gem that she discovered on her farm, and that is the joy of using worms to help keep her crops well hydrated and nourished. Okay, so we've got our waste, our, our vegetable waste. We, we've put that, I'm, I'm assuming, in some sort of container. And how do we need a special kind of worm, or how do we get that started? Well, it's not just the waste. The, the worms actually need a carbon strata or bedding to live in. And we use a species of worms that actually does well in confinement, in containers. And in nature, thrives in like the hollows of trees and other confined areas rather than wide expanses of soil. Because in Florida, the soil is too sandy, and that's abrasive on the sensitive skin of an earthworm. Mm. So you don't see many worms in our soil, as it were. But in setting up a worm bed, you know, you'd, you'd want a carbon strata of some type of either well-rotted uh, leaves or something that is high in carbon rather than nitrogen, so you don't generate heat with it. And that's the strata the worms can live in. And then uh, the feedstock can be, you know, the food waste that you generate, keeping in mind that a moisture level needs to be maintained for the creatures and they need to have oxygen. And not too much of any one thing, like pure coffee grounds, would be too acidic, Hmm. uh, but a balance. I mean, they can have as balanced a diet as you do, minus, you know, any meats or dairy or vinegars or heavily salted foods, which wouldn't be the mainstay of your diet probably either. Where do you get the worms to start out with? Well, we sell worms here locally. We don't ship worms. Uh, There's worm growers practically everywhere, and most of them do sell worms, or you can mail order them. But this is a species, like I said, that lends itself to confinement and does very well. And it heavily populates in small spaces 
and therefore generates a lot of waste, which is our goal is to get the waste material from the worms and keep them happy and thriving and reproducing. So we're able to sell the right species of worms and help people get a jump start with bedding if they don't know of what to use. Newspaper works well, and most people, even in the electronic age, can access some black and white newspaper that hopefully uses soy ink or other biodegradable, non-toxic inks. Cynthia, I should know the answer to this question, but do you have information on worms and worm castings on your website? Not really. The website doesn't, I mean, we do have in the sense of there are, in a resource section, there are articles about worms that have already been in a periodical or, a, you know, a newspaper. But there's no technical information. I just haven't gotten around to writing anything up yet. And I would really love to do that, to put together a little booklet and make it available through the website. But haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm We're blessed and I'm exhilarated. This is the first of spring here and things are budding out. And we're scrambling to finish our winter pruning and everything is starting to happen and happen fast. So sitting down and writing hasn't been on the agenda. Well, please put that on your winter agenda because we are all waiting for that information from you in particular. And let me just verify, what is the species of worm that we're looking for? Well, there are more than one. The one that we use, and the pronunciation uh, can vary, but it's Icenia fetida. And we had our species in our worms we were, I was very fortunate to be able to be in a lab with one of the very few worm taxonomists in the world when he was at the research station in Quincy, which is on the west side of Tallahassee. And I brought my worms, and we uh, dissected to definitively identify the species. So I'm sure of the species that I have, and that is what we use as our composting worm. Would you like to spell that for us? I can make a stab at it. Okay. E-I-S-I-N-E-A. Okay. First word. Second word. F-O-E-T-I-D-A. F-O-E-T-I-D-A. T-I-D-A. Okay. Yeah. Asenia fatiga. Great. Well, that's that's a good start, and I'm sure there's information online if we're really anxious to do that. I want to ask you, as a a woman farmer, and you are the sole operator of this farm. What are your biggest challenges? Well, when I went to Iowa State, my I have a full minor in ag engineering. And 20-some years ago, equipment wasn't designed for a woman's structure or body strength. And yet I knew machinery and equipment would play a critical role, and it's something I always enjoyed just mechanically inclined, if you will. I know the value of small equipment and properly maintained equipment. And so that's been a big help to me. And equipment has evolved over time. I mean, from a gas hedger, which we use for winter pruning, which weighs 11 pounds, now I'm able to get a 20-volt lithium hedger, which weighs only 6 pounds, Mm -hmm. which makes a big difference for me. Yeah. (laughs) So evolution of equipment better suited to smaller frames and uh, musculature 
has been one way I've addressed a challenge, which is just the physical challenges involved with farming. As a woman, I, I think, you know, marketing and dealing in a man's field, what was considered a man's field when I came up, has presented some challenges, but nothing that I've been, not been able to overcome. And I think I struggle with the same challenges of other small and medium-sized farmers, especially organic farmers, which is a lack of support in our national policies and our state policies and regulations. We go a great distance to be certified and verified and all to show that we're not using synthetic chemicals, whereas there's nothing verifying the chemistry that is going on by the conventional farmers. And our certification comes at great cost, and now since the cost share was dropped from the farm bill, you know, we're kind of left holding the bag to continue this outlay of effort and cost, and the smaller of us really have a greater challenge. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's still something that I think faces all of us. Yeah, and from a public health perspective, it's so backwards because I feel that I would want my tax dollars going to the farm bill to support methods of farming that protect our, as, as I mentioned earlier, our commons, our water, our soil, our air. And it seems like the organic farmer is actually almost penalized because the the tax benefits and the subsidies seem to be channeled towards those that are not necessarily being the best stewards of the earth. Yeah, it's challenging. It's a challenging world to navigate from this perspective. And you don't see a lot of young people that are able to make an entry into farming easily. So, you know, there's not the infrastructural support for our, for health care. I mean, farmers that I know are not able to buy health insurance because yeah. of cost and have really no retirement plan to speak of. And I'm talking about the small and medium-sized farmers that are kind of scratching out a living, providing real food, you know, that goes on people's tables. So that is indeed a challenge and a policy challenge that would be nice to see changed in support of small and medium-sized farmers in local communities. All states are not equally supportive, you know, some states more so of their small and medium-scale farmers. I really haven't found Florida to be supportive of, of us, though. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you are seeing a steady increase in consumer demand for organic wine? There has been a steady growth in it, as in other organic products. So I think people are becoming more and more aware and looking for organic, knowing that something is different about organic, and it's a good difference. Mm -hmm. I like for consumers and farmers to work together to making it so that you're producing this wonderful food and wine for us. What can we do to support you? So one thing I'm sure is that to be on the lookout for organic wine and organic food. And by buying that, we help reward the organic farmer who's going that extra mile. What else do you want consumers to do to help you from a food production and policy perspective? Well, just to be aware and of organic issues as they come up. Frequently, these things get dealt with at the national or state level, and people are unaware and informed consumers could actually have a say in it. 
which would serve to make uh, organic food more available and also to support the farmers that are out there doing it. Mm -hmm. And I want to let everybody know about your website. It's www.monticellowinery.com. And right there on your homepage, you've got some beautiful pictures, and you have a USDA organic definition. And I think that that is one component of your website that's very important because I think that people can be confused a little bit about what organic really means. It is a production definition so that you, and I'll read this because I think it's important. USDA organic certification means the product is produced without the use of synthetic pesticides, herbicides, chemical fertilizers, antibiotics, and hormones. Organic products are produced through farming practices that help prevent topsoil erosion, improve soil fertility, protect groundwater, and conserve biological diversity. Thank you, Cynthia, for farming that way. It's the way, the truth, and the light for me. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine doing it any other way. You know, people in Florida, a lot of them believe you can't grow organically here because we have acidic and sandy infertile soils, and that is not true. We we can farm organically. We can build our soils, and the wonderful worm castings, you know, are one of the ways that we do it here on this farm, but it is possible and to be very productive and to be organic and holistic and not harm the environment and the air and the common water. And I'm sure having the native species of grapes is also very helpful in terms of having some natural resistance to pests. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely. You know, there's probably millions going into trying to genetically modify the Vitis vinifera, which is the European line of grapes, to want to live in Florida, to be disease-resistant. We have high humidity, high heat sandy soils, and those grapes just don't want to live here. They want to live in California and New York. They want to live where it's dry and better soil and something more in line with what their origins are, whereas Vitus rotundifolia, the muscadine, is a native here and well-adapted and does very, very well organically. Mm -hmm. People frequently ask, what do you do for bugs? Well, we don't have a bug problem. We, bugs are our friend. When we maintain the balance of the good and good bugs with the predator, the the ones that do damage, we don't have damage. Mm -hmm. it take, the balance takes care of itself. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, Cynthia? Well, I think even as gardeners or people that grow in pots, you know, um, don't be afraid to... Uh, Observe the life in the soil, the humble earthworm, and it's the worm castings. And they can thrill you, too. I mean, you will tur turn a regular thumb into a green thumb if you just, you know, try some worm castings on whatever it is you're growing. And I think the more people get their hands in the dirt, that's where the wonder happens. I agree. That is a great send-off is get our hands in the dirt. I want to thank you, Cynthia, so much for being my guest. We've been speaking with Cynthia Connolly. She is the owner and operator of Lady Bird Organic Farm, and she is the 
president of Monticello Vineyards and Winery, Florida's only organic farm winery. So if you're down that way, look for those Monticello wine. And in closing, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Cynthia, thank you again for being my guest, and thank you for farming organically. My pleasure.